Welcome to the first ever edition of Demolition Digest, a look back at some of the key stories featured on Demolition News Radio in the past week. In this episode, how HS2 gave UK construction a much needed shot in the arm, skill shortages and the Brexit effect, fat cat and wage disparity, and how a bomb disposal company came to be in the demolition business. But we start with a quick update on the long-awaited demolition degree that is coming appropriately to Wolverhampton. We spoke to former IDE president and long-time Wolverhampton resident John Woodward to find out more. I think ever since I've been in demolition, I came from a civil engineering background and people within civil engineering are used to the degree concept and then moving on to the industry. And in demolition, we do complex jobs with supreme skill and we don't always get recognised. And I really felt, as it comes to the end of my own career, that we needed to encourage younger people to come into a great industry and look at the degree stream. Uh, because it, one, it gives us more credibility and it becomes more accepted as a mainstream engineering occupation. And bear in mind that in the world there's only one university in America that does a demolition degree. I looked at it, wanted somewhere to do a degree. Where better to come than my own home city university? As I believe that the University of Wolverhampton will approach the degree the way that the IDE wanted approached, will encourage people from around the world to come to Wolverhampton as a vibrant city and to get the education they need to then go around the world to clear the past using the present skills to make way for the future. Exactly one month ago today, I was predicting doom and gloom for the UK construction industry following the publication of the Construction Awards statistics for July 2017, which were, to put it mildly, poor. But what a difference a month makes. Who would have thought when in July we were pontificating about um, what the industry is doing um, with record lows, um, that the very next month you get record highs, but record highs in value, but not in number of projects. And that's only because of the infrastructure projects that have come through and, and actually been signed off, which is the HS2 project, which is the 6.6 .6 billion pounds worth of work or whatever, um, in different joint ventures. And those joint ventures include many different construction companies and then you've also got the 700 million pound Manchester Airport Terminal 2. Yeah the, the overall total for this month has passed the 11 billion pound mark. Never been seen before when we've been touching the four million, four billions, three billions and those sort of areas of five billions, maybe six is that we've had some highs of um, but now we've kind of turned to <laughs> this remarkable um, remarkable level. We are just over about 415 projects today, so we'll add another 25 today most probably. So we'll be down at 430 to so 440 projects, which is very much at the low end of what we're used to. 
Okay, last month was 348, but previously to that was 600, 600, high 400, 600, 560. So are the figures or the value hiding something else that's in there? And that's what I think the deeper question is, is what is really going on with the market? Um, currently, there is only 256 contractors secured work in a month. Um, that will go up bits and pieces. Um, yeah, 10, 10 new companies might go on there. But normally you're up about 3.30. So that also kind of. So what is this telling us? I don't think you can take this month to tell us anything. Regional wise, well, yeah, Greater London's got 2.6 billion. Uh, some of that is included in the HS2 because we try to do little bits and pieces when it says like Euston Tunnel and things like that is put sure. into it. Oxfordshire's got quite a lot because that's obviously where a lot of the HS2s go on the route. On the route. Um, West Midlands, that's where HS2 is finishing, so that's got quite a bit involved in it. Northwest is over a billion because of the 700 million for the airport. And finally, Scotland's uh, the next one up there, which is 215 million. But what's going to happen next month? That's the big question. Regardless of your feelings on the environmental impact of HS2, there is no question that the project is good for the UK construction sector. But do we have enough men and women to deliver on this mammoth project? That's a question we addressed in our feature, skill shortages and the Brexit effect. Regular readers of Demolition News will know my stance on Brexit and the UK electorate's questionable decision to leave the European Union and row its own canoe through the choppy economic waters. However, I am a realist and having decided to go it alone, the nation now needs to unite to make it work. But even while politicians attempt to negotiate a deal in the aftermath of what feels increasingly like a messy divorce, the impact of the Brexit decision has already been felt by those in the construction and demolition sectors. And now, as those sectors start to look ahead to a brighter hs 2 fueled future, the possible fallout could have a serious and neg negative effect on the wider industry. According to the latest government statistics, net immigration to the UK has seen a significant drop. Just this weekend, national newspapers have reported on a veritable tide of UK residents fleeing the country in the wake of the Brexit decision. And according to the latest figures, the latest employment figures are also at a recent high, which means that pretty much everyone that is able to work, or is willing to work, is already doing so. That's good news, right? Well, that rather depends on your viewpoint. The first contracts for the HS2 high-speed rail network have now been let, and the combined demolition and construction industries are now faced with the challenge of finding an additional 16,000 workers to bring those contracts to fruition. The problem is that both industries are already reporting a skill shortage. Indeed, the UK construction giant Balfour Beatty has already expressed its displeasure with the construction industry training board for what it perceives as a failure to supply sufficient trained workers. And there is a very real concern that, faced with the pro promise of a stable construction workload on HS2 related projects, the demolition sector could see some of its number jump ship. Now I expressed my concerns over this potential demolition staffing shortfall to a recruitment specialist recently, and even though he has very little to do with construction and demolition, he was fairly optimistic. He said that when it comes to recruitment and finding sufficient workers, 
the market has a knack of finding a way. And hopefully he's right. Hopefully HST, HST will not be delayed by a lack of skilled workers. Hopefully the de demolition industry will not suffer a brain drain of skilled workers jumping over to construction. But should we really be depending on hope? As Balfour Beatty pointed out, the CITB is charged with producing skilled workers to satisfy the industry's needs, and it charges a levy to do so. If it genuinely isn't doing its job, then maybe Balfour Beatty is right to voice its displeasure so publicly. Regardless, one thing is clear. If demolition companies are to ride out this possible employment storm, they will have to make their own luck. Those companies that employ apprentices, those companies that that carry out their own training and career development and those companies whose training goes above and beyond the legal requirements have an opportunity to stand out from the crowd. They will be the ones best placed to ride out that storm. They will be best placed to meet any upturn in demand and workload. And they will be best placed to pros prosper in a post-Brexit marketplace. Traditionally there's been very little to choose between the leading demolition companies and their respective skill sets. But there has never been a better time for those that train to shine. To aid this process, we've written a new book to encourage more young people to join the UK demolition industry. It's called Breaking Into Demolition and it will be on sale through Amazon within the next few weeks. We would urge anyone, any demolition company to buy copies of this book and to share it with local schools, colleges and educational institutions to show school and college leavers that demolition is a viable and potentially lucrative career choice. Of course, the subject of skills brings with it the subject of wages, and just recently there's been a lot of talk about the disparity between the earnings of those that own and operate companies and those that work within them. We looked at this in our feature, Fat Cats and Wage Disparity. According to some newspapers, UK Prime Minister Theresa May has declared war on fat cat bosses and the unacceptable face of capitalism. Although other newspapers have described as weak her campaign to reduce the wage disparity between company directors and those they employ, there seems to be a desire to punish those that have the temerity to be successful and who reap the financial rewards. Now I consider myself to be a working class man. I grew up on a council estate in what at the time was not a great part of London. I didn't enjoy the trappings of a private education, and although my childhood was blissfully happy, I certainly did not grow up with a silver spoon in my mouth. But my father and his father before him were hard working, and they instilled in me a work ethic that I live by to this day. And put simply, that work ethic was work hard and reap the rewards. A demolitionnews.com was created on the spur of a moment, almost a decade ago and it's grown to become the industry's largest and most widely read news resource for the global demolition industry. And if Demolition News and the associated magazine, recruitment website or YouTube channel own £5, £5,000 or £5 million in profit, and trust me we're closer to the first two figures than we are to the third, then that will be the result of nearly 10, 10 years of 12 and 14 hour days. It will be the result of six and seven day weeks it will be the result of hard work and sacrifice. And I firmly believe that I'm entitled to enjoy whatever trappings this business delivers. Now my case is different. I don't actually employ anyone, so there is no disparity between my earnings and those beneath me on the ladder. 
But in my opinion at least, this scenario applies equally to the individuals that sit at the top of each demolition company. Like me, those company principals will be clocking up 12 and 14 hour days, working long after their employees have clocked off for the day. Like me, those company principals will be taking all the financial risks associated with employing people and owning and operating equipment. And unlike me, those company principals face the very real possibility of a hefty fine or even a jail sentence if they're successfully prosecuted for corporate manslaughter in the aftermath of a site fatality. The issue here, uh, the issue here, I believe, is not the necessity to curb or cap the earnings of company owners and directors. Rather, it is need to pay a fair wage to those they employ. Sadly, this typifies a, U a strange UK mentality that seems to tolerate only so, so much success before being overcome with a desire to bring someone crashing down to earth. This is something that was voiced recently by Samo Farah. Despite being one of the UK's most successful and decorated athletes of all time, he is coming for criticism among certain newspapers that apparently felt he'd grown a little too big for his boots. In the business world, this widespread jealousy is even more misplaced. Yet, a company owner will likely be providing much needed employment for dozens, hundreds or even thousands of people. They will likely be paying a hefty whack of tax, and they will, they will be contributing to the national economy, economy too. So rather than criticising or curbing the pay of so-called fat cat bosses, surely we should be applauding their hard work and rewarding their achievements. This week marked the one-year anniversary of the discovery of the remains of Chris Huxtable, one of the four men killed in the Didcot disaster. To mark that tragic anniversary, we look back at our interview with Alford Technologies, the bomb disposal company brought in to make safe the remainder of the collapsed Didcot boiler house, work that would belatedly allow the remains of Chris Huxtable and his colleagues to be discovered. Some weeks after the, um, the collapse, which happened, the unintentional collapse, um, we were contacted by a member of RWE and asked if we knew of a way of uh, using explosive charges which could be delivered remotely in order to bring about the proper demolition of Dickot. It started as an emergency procedure uh, and it was urgent and it kind of morphed into something else as it progressed um, from my understanding. Uh, people wanted more and more from it. They wanted proof that what we were going to do was going to work. Yeah, well, we clearly proved that what they did previously hadn't worked. And the more that we looked into it, the more we realised that this was very much uh, techniques tended to be specific to certain companies. They probably guard those techniques quite jealously. So we basically had to take advice for sure, but also make our own judgment calls. We inherited a method from the previous contractor and the challenge was how to finish it, if you like, remotely without putting anybody underneath the building. So what had not been completed were a number of cuts, which we could do by linear cutting charges, which again is part of uh, our core business. And then one of the challenges was to deliver a kicking charge, something which would knock the stanchion sideways, uh, that could be delivered by a remotely operated vehicle. So. The conventional method is to place explosive charges, bundles of dynamite, if, 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 if you will, and then surround that with five, seven tons of, of sandbags. That tamping would have been difficult to deliver by ROV, so we needed to come up with another method, which we did. This company has 20 years or so experience with 
using water to apply loads on structures or targets and therefore what we used was our knowledge and expertise um, for uh, firing water if you like with explosives to deliver a large impulse to, to the structure and the, the water keeps down flash is, is self-tamping and importantly it doesn't deliver a very shattering shock to the target it delivers more of a, a gentle heave which so that the energy of the explosive uh, is used in moving the stanchion to one side rather than just shattering it. There was a sequence then of placing cutting charges and kicking charges to be done by a combination of the ROVs working cooperatively so perhaps one ROV would lift another ROV up to a place where it, where it couldn't reach, a third ROV would be off to one side um, giving the operators much more accurate and more useful views of, of, of what they were doing uh, and finally they had to place the kicking charges then the particularly complex part of the operation was to make all the connections for the explosive charges uh, and to debt up and then finally they were required to do an inspection of the whole arrangement before the demolition so that we could be confident, confident that it would work. The parameters we had to work with uh, given the condition of the building and the fact that nobody could go near it, uh, the fact that it was made of steel, uh, really lent itself uh, many parallels with um, an EOD or a bomb disposal type um, scenario. And so it was pretty obvious it would have to use ROVs from the very start because nobody can go near it. Um, things would have to be cut with linear cutting charges, which we had. And we'd also have to find some ways of um, kicking structures to make them move to get the thing to collapse. And because it was steel, most things could be put on with magnets. So the cutting charges go with magnets. The complicated part was there would be a lot of charges, so be multiple charges that have to go off in sequence. And it would be a case of how do we do that using ROVs, how do we position it without having so much cable or detonating cord or shock tube across the floor that it would be impossible to use ROVs after a certain point because of the risk of entanglement, uh, ripping charges off, or even worse. So that was really the mission. And the obvious thing was to use magnets to attach the charges. And if we could do that, and if we could reduce the amount of detonating cord or shock tube, um, so there's one end was plugged into the charge, the other end was on a magnet, which would pick up the explosive shock wave. Or could pick up so normally you would you would take detonating core together and make sure the lengths were the right length and so on. Well, we couldn't do that because nobody can go under there. So we shortened in the lengths, and by putting it down onto a small, almost like a circuit board really, which was magnetically attached, that in its own right was an explosive device. So now we can stick magnets on it, and when that detonated, the speed of the detonating cord pick that up and transmit it to the charges. So it was just a case of making sure that each board and the ch associated charges are all equal length. So all the ROV had to do was place the charge on the target. It literally picked a magnet up off the back, which was attached to detonating cord, maneuvered it around, stuck it on the board. That was it, two maneuvers. And then once all charges were connected to the board, we could then attach remotely um, another initiator. I think the whole subject of what should be best practice for the future has yet to be properly considered and decided. I would say that if 
you are concerned about pre-weakening a structure, then the use of a linear cutting charge allows you to leave substantial strength in the building and then you can, one of the last things you do is place a cutting charge as part of the, of the demolition and it will remove that strength so that you're not exposing people to um, an, an overweakened structure. Uh, in terms of kicking charges, well the kicking charges we used are very neat, they're small, they're compact. Um, whether they would be chosen over the traditional methods I think is yet to be chosen by or yet to be thought about by demolition contractors. And each building is probably different. Uh, there's a lot of structural engineering involved, to be fair to these people. So it's very specialist. And I think this really is a subject for the HSE, because clearly there's going to be a lot of repercussions from this. To the layman, partially destroying a building to the point where it almost collapses and then doing the last bit by explosives sounds risky, and clearly it is. There are Though on there have been, I know for a fact, quite a few what they call stand-ups and other failures. That just makes the situation so much worse. So I think there will be a lot of talks at the HSE level with these companies saying, you know, you've got to clean your act up and basically improve things. As a company, I think we'd like to see uh, more use of perhaps linear cutting charges where you don't have to go in there and cut the last bit. You can do that. There's no reason to do that, really. Um, I think the current industry is probably got a very close profit margin so things are done right on the edge of being as cheap as they possibly can understandably i suppose but i think at some point they're going to have to put their hands in the pocket or somebody is if they want this done safely in the future and finally by this time next week we should have the first proof copy of our new book breaking into demolition and assuming it looks right, we will certainly be sharing photos of the book on our various visual social media feeds. But don't forget, if you pre-order a copy now over at demolitionnewsstore.com, you'll get a copy ahead of the crowd and your name will be printed in the acknowledgements page of every issue. So head on over to demolitionnewsstore.com, pre-order your copy of the book and secure your place within the most eagerly awaited demolition book of the year. And as always, thanks for listening.